with me this morning to the book of Genesis. The second chapter, beginning to read at verse number 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. That's really the premise of what I'll be saying to you this morning. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed, it up, closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. When I was in high school, and some of you wonder if I can even remember back that far. But when as I was in high school, I had a friend that worked on the maintenance crew of the high school. I, when I graduated, the school that I graduated from was the largest high school in the state. And our building was four stories tall, and it took up an entire block in downtown Tulsa. And then there was a separate building a few blocks away where the metal shop and the wood shop and, and all of the crafting shops were. And it was about a half a block, and it was two stories tall. And my friend worked for as on the maintenance crew, and they had an opening, and I thought, I think I'd like to have that job. So I went down and spoke to the man that was in charge of that, and, and, uh, and, and, and he gave me the job. And so they took me down this particular evening, and, and they showed me what I needed to do, and uh, trained me and, and, you know, clean up the machines and empty the trash and sweep the floors and do all that kind of thing. And so I, I was down there for, for two or three hours during, doing my job, and I went home and slept on it that night. The very first thing the next morning, I went back to the office where my supervisor worked and stepped in and said to him, you can have the money I earned last night. I really don't want it, but you can also have that job. I'm here to tell you, I could do the work. The work wasn't hard, but the problem was for hours, I was in this building all by myself, alone, isolated from other people. Most of you know that I'm pretty gregarious. 
There's a good dollar and a half word. Extroverted, social. I like people. I like you. I really do. I like you. And, and Janice and I are so thankful. We, we were at the National Leadership Com Conference this week, and I was telling Houston a while ago, I said, you can't, you can't believe how many times we were talking to people about you, and we would say to them, we love our people. We love it, and we do. It's, we're not putting on. I'm telling you what, we love you. We are happy that God providentially led us here. So this month, we're going to be considering the subject of relationships. Today, let's look at the subject from these perspectives. Let's talk about relationships for the day, relationships for a dilemma, relationships for death, and relationships for your destiny. So we'll start with relationships for the day. When I speak of relationships for the day, I'm speaking of that person that God puts into our lives for accountability and balance. And if you don't know yet, that's what Janice does. She holds my feet to the fire when I need it. And she gives balance to my life always because I do need it. That's the kind of person that God puts in our lives. You see, after God created the earth and all of its creatures, he made man, and Scripture says that he breathed into the man and he became a living soul. God, you know, when God created the animals and, and, and the, the fish and the birds and that type of thing, he just created them and made them alive, but, but he didn't breathe into them. But for man, he breathed into the body that he had created and there was a spark of godness in man because God breathed into him and he became a living soul. He gave man a high intellect, had to have a high intellect. God began to parade the animals and the birds and the creatures and, and everything by and he said, now, now name them. And, and you see, they, they came by and, and, and Adam didn't say, well, this one's Fred and this one's George and I think that one looks like a, I think that looks like a Susie. He, he didn't, he named them and, and the scripture says what he named them is what they were. So down through today, what we have are the names that Adam in his intellect that God gave him named the creatures. He not only uh, did that, he delegated this responsibility, uh, responsibility to him that I've already shared with you about. And, 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 and God also enjoyed wonderful fellowship with man. You see, that's God's desire. Some people live in the fear and the terror of God and some people just ignore God. But what God really wants, what God really wants is for us to live in fellowship with him. That the glory of God fill our lives and that we live in wonderful fellowship with the creator of the universe. But God, even though he lived in fellowship with the man, God realized 
It's not good that man should be alone. The King James says that when God had this concept, that, that he said, I will make a helpmeet for him. Now, I don't know about you, but helpmeet is not a term that I use very often. I hear some of you agreeing. It's not a term that you use very often. But the Good News Bible says, I will make a suitable companion to help him. I like that. I will make a suitable companion to help him. Matthew Henry said the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I, God gave a helper, somebody to stand with man every day, to walk alongside him. The implication is that woman was to be valued and cherished by her husband. You see, from experience, I can tell you if a man will allow it, his wife will bring balance and assistance to him. The biggest problems that I've had in the last 53 years is when Janice says, I don't think so. And I do it anyway. And all of you men need to do this. Because Janice has insights that I do not have. But on the other hand, man is also made for woman. That there is balance. There is that relationship for the day. And there's, there's something else I need to insert here. For those of you who aren't married and may never be married, you don't have to be for God to give you someone to balance you. You see, when Jesus called the apostles and, and, and he mentored the apostles, I, I, heard, I heard one time that mentorship is this. You watch, I do. You do, I watch. You do. Okay? So that, that's what Jesus called these 12 around him and he's saying to them, now I'm going to do some things. You watch me. You watch me. And, and then he began to, to delegate to them while he was around. You, you do what I want you to do. And, and he watched them. And then one day he called them to himself and he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you out two by two and you go do the ministry. Do the ministry. Do you notice that, that he didn't send them out alone? He sent them out two by two because it's not good for man to be alone. He needed that accountability and that balance. We're not told if Paul the Apostle was ever married, but though some reason that, that it was possible that he, he was not married. However, he was always blessed with close companions who were suitable companions for him. There was Barnabas in the beginning and then Silas, and of course Timothy came along and Luke traveled with them some and different ones, but Paul always had these companions that gave him that accountability and balance. So we need relationships to give us daily balance and accountability. So there are relationships for the day.
And then there are relationships for a dilemma. The best picture that I see of this in the scripture is David the shepherd boy and Jonathan the king's son. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number one in the contemporary English version says, David and Jonathan became best friends. Best friends. 1 Samuel chapter 20 brings us to the great dilemmas in the lives of these men. You see, Jonathan was the dynastic heir to the throne. His dad was king. He was first in line. When Saul died, dynastically, Jonathan would arise to that day. He would become king. So Jonathan is the dynastic heir to the throne, but David is the anointed heir to the throne. He is God's pick. Doesn't mean God didn't love Jonathan because God certainly used Jonathan. But David was God's pick. And you see, Jonathan knew and understood that God's will was for David to ascend the throne and he was willing to step aside. What an attitude. What graciousness. He was willing to step aside and to let David arise to the throne that was intended for him. He just stepped aside and he said, David, I know this is God's will, but Saul the king knew, destined, knew David was destined for the throne also, and he wanted to kill David, and Jonathan did what was necessary to keep his father from his murderous ways. This friend for a time of dilemma was willing to put God's will ahead of his will. God's desire ahead of his desire. You see, David was convinced, and rightly so, that Saul wanted to kill him, and Jonathan said, no, 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 no. My father tells me everything, and I'm sure he doesn't want to kill you. So together they devised a plan to determine the truth, and as a result, the plot of the king was revealed, and David and Jonathan parted in tears. And apparently, from what I understand from the Scripture, apparently never had meaningful human contact again. Have you ever had one of those times when you look back on it and you say, that wasn't my finest hour? I had a situation like that. I was a freshman, just a new freshman at Bible college. And uh, when I went to Bible college, I thought I was a pretty salty ping pong player. Turns out I wasn't, but, but I got in line and, and it came time, my, my time to step up to the table and pick the paddle up and, and in, in seven serves, I lost seven points. Now for those of you who are ping pong players, seven zip is a skunk. And the game is over. If you can't win a point in seven serves, the game is over. And so here I, here I am. I just stepped up here, and this guy just whoops on, up on me. And, and I said, let me play another game. Let me try again. Well, the guy that was next in line with me 
We're both new freshmen and he was fresh out of high school and he was an outstanding football player. And he said, you sit down, you lost, your game is over, I'm playing. And I said, oh, come on. You know, it was just seven serves. Let me, let, let, let me try again. No, sit down. Oh, let me try again. He said, if you don't sit down, I'll break this ping pong paddle over your face. <laughs> really? And I have a very dear friend, dear friend to this day. Some of you have heard me talk about Joe Hancock, one of my, one of my very dearest friends. And Joe and I didn't know one another very well at that particular time, but Joe trying to defuse the situation when he said, I'll break this paddle over your face. Joe said, no, you won't. And he said, yes, I will. And Joe said, no, you won't. Then he said, then I'll break it over your face, shaking it at Joe. And Joe was standing right there by him. I'll break it over your face. And Joe said, no, you won't. Wow. I mean, faster than a snake. He slapped Joe Hancock in the face with that ping pong pedal and broke it. I stepped away from the table. But I cherish that memory to this day that in my dilemma, I had a friend step up for me. And I told you, Joe Hancock's one of my best, he's one of my dearest friends. Joe and I have been in contact two or three times this week. He's one of my dearest friends. That was over 55 years ago. And from that day to this, Joe has never said, do you remember what I did for you? He was my friend for a dilemma. Like I said, it wasn't my finest hour, but Joe was my friend for a dilemma. You see, not all situations are so dramatic, but we all need someone who will be in our corner when times get tough. We all need somebody like that. So we talk about relationships for the day, relationships for a dilemma. Let's talk about relationships for death. The death of Jesus was one of the most traumatic events of the apostles' lives. Can you imagine? For three to three and a half years, they had walked with him and talked with him and ate with him and laughed with him and prayed with him and learned from him. And now he has been crucified the most brutal. I cannot, I cannot think of a death more brutal than the death of crucifixion. And Jesus is dead. So let's focus just a minute on two, on Peter and John. Peter was certainly among the oldest, if not the oldest of all of the apostles. John, we are led to believe, was the youngest of all of the apostles. And, and so th that, would, that would be like me and Pastor Sam, okay? You, you know, when I sit in staff meeting, I'm old enough to be the father 
or the grandfather to everybody in that room. I'm that old. And, and, and that's kind of the way that, that Peter and, and John were. But these, these two apostles, two chosen men, became very close. Scripture tells us that they were part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They were part of that inner circle that was closest. There was the 12, but of the 12, there were three that Jesus went places and he took with him Peter and James and John. Peter and James and John. So, so here Peter and, and John are, are put together in that context. Luke tells us that it was Peter and John who were sent to prepare a place for the last Passover meal. When they, when they said to, uh, to Jesus, where are we going to eat the Passover? And Jesus said, go to town, and when you get there, you'll find a man carrying a pot of water. Follow him. Luke tells us that it was Peter and John that did that, that they were the ones that were, and Jesus said, you're the ones asking, just go on down there and find that man carrying a pot of water and go tell him we're going to come to his house and have the Passover. It was John in the gospel of John chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. It was John who helped Peter get into the palace of the high priest where Jesus was being tried. And this is before Peter's denial of Jesus. And even after the resurrection and the ascension in Acts chapter 3, you see as Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer when the lame man was healed at the gate beautiful. So you look at the end of Jesus' life and just after Jesus is ascended and you see these, all these times when Peter and John are together, there was, there was companionship, there was affection in their lives for one another. And, and so it was that when Jesus was crucified and they thought he was still in the grave, Mary came to Peter and John in John chapter 20, verses one through eight. Mary came to Peter and John and announced to them, the body is gone. The body is gone. And I can just see them shake their heads. Mary, you've got to be delusional. It, it can't be. It can't be gone. We saw him die. We know Joseph of Arimathea took his body and put it in a tomb. We, he can't be gone. He can't be gone. Scripture tells us that Peter and John began to run toward the tomb. Now here again, I want you to see the picture of me and Pastor Sam. I can barely climb the stairs. Sam can get up in a single leap like Superman. Well, maybe not quite that good, but pretty close, pretty close. And here they are running down the, the lane and John outruns, Jesus, outruns Peter. But when he, comes to the, when he comes to the entrance of the tomb, he stops, looked in, but he didn't go in. He waited for Peter in respect. He waited for him and together Peter went in and then John went in after him. Let me tell you, death brushes against us at some time, all of us at some time with his cold fingers. In times like that, don't isolate. Stay in contact with someone you trust and can confide in. You need them. It's not good for man to be alone. You need them.
You see, we need someone that we can lean against in tough times so that neither one of us will fall. So there was relationships for the day, relationships for dilemma, relationships for death. Let's talk about relationships for your destiny. Dictionary says that destiny is a predetermined course of events often held to be an irresistible power or agency. And I tell you today that God's destiny for every one of you is eternal life. That's God's destiny, God's destiny for every one of you, eternal life. Second Peter chapter three, the second part of verse number nine says, God doesn't want to destroy anyone, but wants all people to have an opportunity to turn to him and change the way they think and act. Can I tell you today that this promise pivots on your choice? Whether or not God has, whether or not you're part of God's destiny for you pivots on your choice. Joshua said, Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua said, choose Choose, make a choice. You see, through his death, Jesus reached out his hand, offering to walk with you and give to you the gift of eternal life. But you must now take his hand and receive the gift he offers. You have to do that. So let me, let me share some quick takeaways, and then I'm going to close with a final illustration. First of all, relationships are important, even necessary at every juncture of our lives. It's not good for man to be alone. It's what God said. It's not good for a person to be alone. Relationships are important every day. Relationships are important in dilemmas and struggles. Relationships are important when life ends for those that we love. Relationships are important, especially when we stand on the brink of eternity. And the second takeaway is this, Jesus has promised us eternal life if we will choose it. If we will choose it. I close with this. Missionary evangelist and Bible translator Savelle Phillips was with a crew deep inside the Amazon jungle. They were looking, he had a translator along with him, and they were looking for a nomadic indigenous tribe who, who moved with the source of food. If there was fruit to pick, that's where they were. If there was game to kill, that's where they were. But when the fruit was exhausted and when all the game had been killed out, they moved on. They moved on. And so he didn't know where this tribe was, but he was looking for them. 
to give, with them, give to them the gospel because they had never heard the gospel message. And they were walking down the trail in the jungle, and as they were walking along, they came upon an old man sitting beside the trail with his few meager belongings there beside them, beside him. And Savell Phillips came up and brought the translator with him, and he began a conversation with this man. He, he said, why are you here? And he, the old man, exclaimed, explained to him, I'm here to die. I'm old, I can't keep up. I'm not good at picking fruit. I'm not good at killing the wild game. I'm not good at those things. And because of that, my tribe has abandoned me and left me here to die. Sabell Phillips, through the help of the translator, said to this man, God has sent me to you today to tell you about someone who will never abandon you. And he led that old man to Jesus because Jesus would not only be with him in life, he would go with him in death. God has sent me here today to you to tell you about someone who will never abandon you. David said, if my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will lift me up. He will never abandon you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we love you today. We thank you for your blessings, for your goodness, your mercy to us. I thank you for these people. Lord, I don't know where they're at in their life. Some of them may need encouragement for the day. Some of them may have a dilemma that they're facing, a struggle. Some of them may be wrestling with grief and others simply may be standing on the brink of eternity. For we don't know when our lives will come to an end. I pray, oh God, today that every one of us will realize that you will never abandon us. You will never leave us alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have not asked this previously, but I'm going to ask our facilitators to come again to the front. Would you, can I, can I have you do that? Pastor Sam, come on down. All of our facilitators. I, I don't know what your life is. I, I don't know what your struggles are. 
But I do know, I've been pastoring long enough, and I do know that in a crowd this size, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of needs. I'm here to tell you this morning, God sent me here this morning to tell you that he'll never abandon you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. We would not embarrass you for anything, but we would offer you a hand of encouragement and a prayer for the Lord to help you. If you are here this morning struggling with a need, with a trial, with a burden, with grief, if you are here this morning with that, would you just step out and come right now? Step out and come and find somebody down here to pray with you because he is here and he will never abandon you. He will never leave you alone.